Hey there, you're welcome to Founders Connect, a show where I have conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and operators in Africa. This is the right show for you to be listening to if you love behind the scenes stories about people, their careers, and not your businesses. My name is Pissy Timmy, and I'm very, very, very delighted to be your host. You can follow this conversation on social media, hashtag Founders Connect. You can watch the video of each episode on my YouTube channel at PCTME or just search for Founders Connect on YouTube to find the playlist. Also, please share this podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, leave a rating, and you know, share it, hashtag Founders Connect. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, you're welcome to another episode of Founders Connect. Here, right, I have conversations with leading entrepreneurs in Africa. But for this particular episode, I'm doing something different. I'm not speaking to who you consider a typical entrepreneur, right? Say, I want to start my own company, I want to look for fun, I want to start from scratch. But he's the person that is now known for launching companies in Nigeria. So I thought about it, I'm like, he might as well be a founder. It's just that <laughs> it's not your idea, right? But you're the guy literally beginning to the country. So today I'm speaking to Bamba Jide. Thank you Hi. guys for having me. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to, you know, talk to you and learn from you and learn about your journey. I followed you for, I met you in 2017. So like four years now. <laughs> yeah, at Andela. Yeah. yeah, at Andela. And I'm like, okay, same brother. And now I'm like, ah, ah. So it's, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm a fan. And I say that like with all sincerity. It's not more like Twitter. I'm fan, a fan like, too yeah. as well. So I like, care. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so we, we can compete for the family. But yeah, guys, let's listen to Baba Jide. I will try as much as possible to get him to tell us his story, right? His career, his background, and we can just learn from every single thing. All right? Peace. So um, let's start from like the very beginning. Like, give us like a sense of your background. What was growing up like for you? Where did you grow up? What schools did you go to? Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up on Allen. Uh, oh, so like, in, in Lagos, yes, Lagos. Yeah. So I was I was born in Lagos, born in Papa, but uh, grew up on Allen most of my life, all of my life actually. Mm. Uh, family of four, uh, my mom and dad were in together, and so like I was raised by a single mom, oh. uh, as well. And I'm the firstborn, so like lots of pressure. <laughs> so lots of pressure. Uh, grew up into a family that. Uh, we believed in like being smart and once you're smart you get rewarded you don't do house chores you don't mm. do like any of the things like it's a case of that like on saturday morning you are sleeping at 10 and my mom is like ah leave me leave, leave them, leave them, leave them. yes because like once your grades were up like you yeah. got away with really virtually anything <laughs> and so that's the kind of family that like grew up with um went to command uh for my secondary school uh, for university, I went to Bell's University at that point in time after uh, there was a spat between my runaway dad then and my mom uh, where he wanted me to go to another university and my mom was like, no way. And mm. so she got angry, pulled all the money she had together in this life and then she was like, you're going okay. to a private university, here's the money. And so went to private school, spent five years reading engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and in my fourth year, I then now realized that, oh my God, I don't think I like what I'm doing. Like, I don't like this course. It took you four years. Yeah, it took me. No, I knew it, but I was building up to that point. But <laughs> yeah. then uh, by the fourth year, I went to do my internship at Skybank mm. um, on Nadiola Hopewell. And that road is known for like flooding. Mm -hmm. So every time during, and it was summer period. So once 
uh, it rains, actually it was rainy season. Once it rains, then the entire banking halls will be flooded. And so you have to go around the branches in VI to go and disconnect the <laughs> systems from the floor to put them on the desk. And then when the rain dries out of the banking hall, you put it like talking like leg deep inside water type wow. stuff. So I was just like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be doing computer engineering. Mm -hmm. I need to break away from it. And so when I finished uh, university, uh, I was supposed to go back to that same Sky Bank because like that was where my mother had like her one and only connection. And I refused <laughs> to go. <laughs> I refused to go there. And so uh, you know the entire thing of that, what's wrong with my son? Have they just him? This, this, that, and all the oh life, people or village people have already started to like attack him. And I just stayed at home mm. until one day when I actually was with my brother and his then girlfriend and she was talking about uh, her friend's company who was looking for like a data entry intern. Right. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm doing nothing. I can do that at this point in time. So they hooked me up with an interview. I went there and immediately I got into the reception. I'm like, okay, I need this to work it. here. Oh. Like, this is where I want to work. The reception was very, very fine. Like, <laughs> very fine. And so... Compared to Skybank that was flooded. Yeah, that was flooded. Like, it was in UBA house. It was on the fourth floor. It was Philips Consulting at the time. Mm. And so we were there doing the tests. We had, like, batteries of tests, aptitude tests, tests for trainability. That was mm. one thing that was... And it turned out I was super trainable uh, at that point in time because, like, I came top five out of it. Right. Five of us, they took us to a room, gave us computers and they were like, oh, they're giving us Excel and everything. So I stared to poke around the room, what did you study? And then they were saying, oh, someone did chemistry, someone did engineering, someone did, um, uh, I think, sociology. And I said, ah, I mean, I did computer engineering. <laughs> and so they were all intimidated immediately. And so like, once I saw they were intimidated, I knew yes. that was the firepower I needed. I got the job at Philips. And then I started as a data entry person. What my job was, was every time the consultants went for business interview meetings, uh, they come back with complimentary cards. They would dump it on my table. I'm the one who would be filling it into the computer, building a database. Wow. And so that was how I started. But aside doing all that, I was the guy who was, do you want to photocopy? Do you need me mm. to do stuff? So I was that guy who used to do all that stuff, like all the grunt work. And so certain people start to take interest in you mm. when you when you're that yeah, person for like them. That. And so one day I was uh, doing the business card and I remember someone coming. Uh, she became like my then manager and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm typing business card." And she's like, "Leave it. I, you have more important things to do." And that was it. Like, wow. that was how I stopped typing. That's how I stopped typing business cards into it. And then I was drafted into the human capital side of consulting. Mm. And then I was drafted into my first ever project, which was SEC recruitment. I think that was in 2011. Yes. And so, like 10 years ago. yeah, that's how I, my career started. Um, finished my NYC at the company, got retained, uh, spent four years at the company, was great. Uh, promotions, you know, you get to travel, working on nice projects, but then consultants, well, at that point in time, they weren't paying so well, like, consultants <laughs> don't make so much money. And so it was time for me to like move into the industry. So I kind of like took a leap of faith and then I went to join Access Bank. Oh, so you a, went back to banking? Yeah, I went to banking, yes. Uh, but then I didn't go into IT. <laughs> I was in human resources resource. in right. Access Bank. And so I was a human resource business partner for six months. 
moved from there to uh, projects because I had consulting background, so I could do like transformation mm. projects on like process improvement, process re-engineering for HR processes. And so I did one year there. Once the processes were done and re-engineered, and then I then now moved to talent acquisition. And mm. so most people usually ask me the question, and they're like, "You had HR. Today you are a general manager. How did you transition uh, to as well?" And it's a pretty much interesting story. So at the time, there was someone who had reached out to me on Twitter, and that is the reason why I take Twitter very, very seriously. So this person had reached out to me on Twitter, and she was like, she's new in HR, and she needs some help. So I gave out, there, there's this book called Armstrong. Every HR person knows it, because every HR person <laughs> must have read Armstrong. And so I, I told her to read it, and she was there. We used to have conversations, and we're just talking for like a whole year. And then this day, she's like, hey, my company is looking for a recruitment manager. And so the company was Andela. Ah. And I'm like, oh, sure. I, I do talent I mean, I acquisition here, so why not if not? And at that point in time, I was dead out of my mind. I was frustrated at the bank because it was a clear disconnect. Like, right. think of me now and think I of think me being in the bank. bank. <laughs> like, yeah. full-blown clear disconnect. And so I applied for the job, went through a series of interviews, and... I was supposedly the top candidate. Why you say but supposedly? Because there's a very interesting story around okay. it. And so, and I'm always very proud of that story because it just shows certain level around like great and sometimes you not backing down mm. and you being able to say, forget about all the jobs I've applied for. I never had the skill set for it. Mm. But I got the skill set on the job because like you learn on the job. Yeah. And so I had done the entire interview for a recruitment manager. And then Andela goes quiet for like, what, one month. They didn't say anything. And so I'm sending them emails and they're like, don't worry, we'll get back to you. And they were just quiet. And then one morning, they sent an email and the email was the hiring manager who was like, hey, thank you for interviewing with us and blah, blah, blah. But we've kind of like changed the role and the scope of the role. Mm. And so now we're looking for someone who has more uh, community management experience, community engagement, who is connected to the developer ecosystem and things like that. I can't remember, it was around seven in the morning and I was driving, my wife was seated beside me and the email came in and I'm like, she should read it for me. And she read the email for me and I just got downcasted. And so she saw that look in, me, in my face and she's like, hey, do you really want this job? And I'm like, yes. She's like, okay, if you really want it, think very well, you know what to do. And so we went by our work that day and then at 6 p.m., I cannot forget because like, for me, like all these things are landmarks that show I have the capacity to be more because these mm. were the decisions and the time where it's I like took. Pivotal moments. Yeah, pivotal moment that changed everything. And so at 6 p.m., I sat down, put up my computer, then typed a response to say, thank you very much for this rejection, but I still think I'm the man for the job because I studied engineering in school. Uh, I'm... I do talent acquisition. I know how to do like graduate recruitment in campus. I know how to do campus stuff. I know how to design recruitment strategies. And I know how to talk to people. <laughs> and my friends like, are typically the guys who are cur currently building some of your exciting start, uh, ecosystems or communities right now. So I think you will need to talk to me. And so I sent the email. And then two days later, I got a response to say, oh, okay. I think we want to hear you. At this point in time, I'm copying Shaney, everybody in the email. And they're like, oh, we want to hear from you. We're in Lagos in two weeks' time. Can we set up time? So I'm like, sure, why not? Two weeks came, we set up time. 
we had a three-hour conversation because at that point they were saying hey we know this is what we want to hire we don't know how to do it mm. and i said give me the job and i'll, I'll define what a community manager in africa should look like yeah. at that point in time andela had no community manager so i came in as the first ever community manager then the guy in kenya who was recruitment manager then became community manager and two of us there to build out what that community management practice at andela today and so at that point in time, if anybody knew about like Andela, how we were like in all the developer communities and all those things, it was us. Like that was what we were doing. And so building that, learning on the go, learning on the fly too as well, was like <laughs> who I am and how, how I, I, I do things. And then uh, I've done that for like two and a half years, helped Andela expand to Uganda and Rwanda. Uh, launched the first fellowship program in Rwanda too yeah. as well and then you then now start to ask yourself what more like hmm. is this what it is so I not even the, what next but what more what more because it's not what next it's what more I, I don't usually look at what next I look at what more mm. because uh, people say what next is like a career planning thing I don't believe in career plans I believe in like a basket of skills that you have that can actually help you succeed in other things right. that you do and so i remember having a conversation with like my friend benga who was in andala at that point in time was the ops manager and we're just talking and he's like hey i saw this very interesting role that they're looking for a country manager i'm like oh sure why not if not uh so he sent me the JD, I looked at it and I said, I can't do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you should go for it. So I went for it, I applied, uh, got a response like 15 minutes later saying, thank you very much. We'd like to have an initial conversation with you. We had an initial 30 minutes conversation. And then after that conversation became another 30 minutes conversation. After that became a dinner that lasted for four hours and after that, came me flying to Uganda to go and actually do like series of interviews for three days. Wow. And then I then now became country manager because the idea is, hey, we're looking to expand to West Africa. We've never done it. There is no business registration. There's no entity. You're going to figure it out from scratch. You're going to start from scratch. And so I'm like, sure, why not? If not, give me, I'll do it for you. And so came back to Nigeria, tidied up my affairs with Andela, mm. did my bye-byes and then uh, on the 6th of May 2019 I joined uh, Seboda as the country uh, at that point in time it was country head yeah as a country head and then the idea was okay set up the entire business from like setting up business registration all that to figuring figuring out our launch plan mm -hmm. how do we launch into the Nigerian market all those things like I spent so much time combing Yaba talking to Okada men to the point like Immediately I come out of my house, Okada men used to meet me because like <laughs> they know you already they as that knew guy. me or read me as, as that guy. And I was always like on my black t-shirt, like my jeans, and just talking to them, understanding their pain points and all those things. And the morning after doing that, in the afternoon, we'll go and meet Lagos State Government to figure out what their plan is. Mm. Like talking, lobbying, doing all that stuff. And then uh, it was a very interesting thing because uh, People ask whether I had like forehand knowledge that Lagos was going to ban Okada. Yeah. I didn't. Like, I didn't know. We had made the decision to go to Oyo October before Lagos banned what Okada. What did you do A whole bunch of things. Uh, one is the oldest city mm -hmm. 
Two, it's very educational. Three, Smile, the mobile, actually launched yeah. out of Ibadan and it was successful. So there was something yeah. there. And then for the proximity to Lagos, and that like, if people are going to catch on to something quickly, it, it's, has, it has to be Ogun or Oyo. They are the ones right. who will catch on to. And so we did actually scope both states. I spent time there, even in Songwata, in Abekuta. It was very funny because like talking to the Okada men, and I, my Yoruba is not, <laughs> it's not good because I grew Wait, up on that land. No, it's better now because like I have <laughs> dealt with Okada. Time, yeah. I have spent time with them. And then we spent all that time doing just that market research, understanding how much Okada riders were making, what were the government levies, how much, just the profit and loss of a typical Okada man. Because mm. once you're able to understand the man's profit and loss management system, then automatically you are able to bring a total quality of life management mm. and design around that too as well. And so we spent more and we found out that in Oyo, there was a higher chance for the riders to come and join us because there was no NURTW. So right. that was one of, that was the biggest factor that because in Abekuta and Ogun, I think the NURT guys were, some were collecting as much as 650 per day, some were collecting 800 naira per day from the driver. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at it and I said, there is no way this guy is going to make sense and break even if someone is collecting this amount mm -hmm. of money from his earning because the average earning was 2,500 now. Yeah, and right. then he makes That's 2 five averagely on a daily basis and gives out 650. He fills his bike with around 600, 700. How much was left to mm. take home? How much was left to maintain the bike and all that? And so we spent time boots on the ground, uh, talking to riders, speaking their language, you know, eating with them. I Like, I'll have packed food, I'll have like diarrhea, sort <laughs> it out, but like, you just needed the guys to fill you in the grassroots. Mm. And so we did all that. And then we decided to pick Ibadan uh, as the launch city. But at this point in time, my higher ups were still, hey, you know, Lagos, we can do this, let's still lobby. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Get on a plane, come down, come and see it. Oh. And so they got on a plane and then I organized like a four day tour of Ibadan. Mm. Got uh, six Okada, because we're six guys, got six Okada men who were with us for the entire four days, paid them, I think it was two five per day, we were paying them, and those guys were taking us around town right. to see everything, and especially around the landmark of Kampala, where our home mm. uh, country was. So the way I designed the tour was for us to go to places that were extremely similar to Kampala. Hmm. So that when so they, they see Ibadan, they can picture it, they can see it, they can feel it. Brilliant. And so when they left, they had so much excitement. They were like, this is where we need to go and everything. But convince the board again. It took another like what? Four to five months to convince the board to like say, yeah. let us go. And then uh, finally, we had a launch plan. We, we started to build a team in Ibadan, got an office space. By December, everything, the team was, the launch team was ready and the office was ready and we then now needed to like go. Mm. And then uh, in January, the, we were like, hold on, hold on, hold on. In February, then Okada gets banned in Lagos. Mm. And so then people now start to ask, who was the guy who made this decision for us? Because like, it's it just seemed like a spot-on decision. Yeah. But at the time when we initially said we were going there, like, I had people fight. come into my DMs to say, are you okay? Are you like normal? Like, why would you hmm. go to Ibadan and ignore Lagos? Like, like, and all the 
blogs and the tech magazines too as well. Yes. All of them decided, <laughs> oh, it was high time to write where is safe border, where are they in the motorcycle wars, and all those things like that. But sometimes it's not about who is going first, who is going ahead. We were lucky because we had not gotten any physical assets right. on ground. So it was easy for us to pivot and change model and change location. And so we launched on the 2nd of March, 2020. And then that was COVID had already hit, mm -hmm. but then no one was locked. Everybody was still looking at what's this disease. And then all of a sudden the lockdowns came on the 23rd of March and we just launched a business. That requires so, people to be outside. <laughs> that requires people to be outside. That requires people to move to around. Move. And then it was like almost a nightmare. Hmm. But in that time, we were still growing. And we're growing what? Some months, 35% month on month. Other months, we're doing our highest was 65% uh, growth. And we I mean, how do you measure growth? Number of riders or bikers? Or so we measured it in three levers. One was the number of riders that were there. The average earning of the driver mm. because everything was really was centered really about them. the driver average earning of the driver and the total number of trips completed mm. there were some other metrics that showed oh you know what we can still grow by like the number of uh, requests that was made versus the number of trips so our completion rate all those things like that and we kept on doing this and this was me during covid and the lockdown i had to leave a team that just started launching for one month and come home to come and stay with my family in Lagos because mm. I didn't move my family. And so basically we're managing the team mm -hmm. entirely. And this is the thing about hiring great people. Mm. Like I had a great leader in like my head of marketing at that point in time, who was the physical presence, who allowed me to operate through him. Mm. So we'll talk, we'll do, this is how you need to manage your office. This is how you need to talk to people and do this. This is how you get so that there is a leadership presence there because mm. the riders can get very funny when they realize nobody was there. And so for one month, managing it remote, still trying to grow. And at this point in time, all our other locations, Kenya, Uganda was like shut down, like no rides were it happening. Just but it was just the bottom. But the good thing was every month at the board updates, we had like very nice stories to like tell that here's what's growing, our new baby's growing and growing and growing. Uh, by July, we had hit 100,000 rides and then we stagnated because like mm. we needed to figure out how do we then now take this forward. And this is something I've learned around like decision-making process in that like if you stay and spiral too much on a decision rather mm. than just mm. actually going, you would actually time will go and you lose the momentum that you probably built mm, at that point in time point. and so we spiraled for a couple of months to say about like four months and then after spiraling for four months we then now said oh this is the right direction to go this is the right strategy but for us to go on that strategy again it was already close to december and we knew that nothing good happens in december like people just shut down in December, people either go home uh, and things like that. So we couldn't start to do growth plans in December. So we paused the growth plan and say, you know what, hey, let's continue the way we are going right now. In January, we will come and we'll come back in full force. In January, we came back in full force. By April, we had won one million rides. By March, we had done one million rides. So in by, two months? Yeah. By June, we had done, by before the end of June, yes, we had done 1.5 million rides. And I just saw that they did 2 million rides like now. And so those give me joy uh, too as well. And then while we were doing all that, M Copa came. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, no, so And they were like, doing. yeah. <laughs> 
come over and I'm like, sure, why not? But it wasn't a direct sure why not because that there was an, an entire process around it. And then what was, the, what was the factor that made you say, okay, you know what? It is time for me to leave Safe Border and this is this new opportunity is the right opportunity. So interestingly, it was a head hunt. And so it wasn't like as if I was looking. I, I was having. Time. You didn't have to send emails. I didn't have time. to send emails or anything. <laughs> but nah, that's good. There are different levels yeah. uh, to it. And so the recruiter reached out and I'm like, okay. Initially, I thought it was a solar company. I'm like, ah, solar mm. in Nigeria. Why would I want to do like in a solar company? And I'm like, nah, I'm not necessarily like interested. They were like, oh, you know, it's a great company. The money is good. And I'm like, well, it's almost similar to like so yeah. why would i want to leave and here i'm already like they trust my decision making process here yeah like i've already You've built a built reputation it, yeah. and i've proven myself to the point whereby that the guys if i say let's go left they don't ask me too much on why are we going left like i just need to tell them why the decision yeah. is left and everyone throws their back at it so why would i want to leave now and then uh i think i then now had a conversation with maya who is my direct manager right now mm -hmm. and so if many people see my tweets you see i tweet a lot about career stuff because i'm very career yeah. driven and the conversation with that guy was like it that was what sold that, that was it like i how how so because he was calm he had this <laughs> presence he had this persona and even when i asked questions he was i could feel the honesty in his answers and how he painted the business to say hey this is what i'm trying to achieve as the chief commercial officer this is why you need to get on this ship and i saw that and immediately after i got off the call with my wife and she's like oh so how are those guys you were talking i said oh our new company <laughs> like <laughs> I, 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 and i'm sure like... one day me and him will sit down and we'll tell the story because that was what i like Initially, I was saying, you know, telling my wife, some guys are disturbing me. And then like, immediately I leave company. because I said, our new company. And hey. she's like, what happened in the space of one hour? And then I started to speak with like all the C-level guys. And I could see how these guys were like light years ahead. And mm. I could see how I could learn so much from these guys. How I could build myself. How I could like expose myself to more things that I, 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 I didn't even know existed. And so, the entire process took what? Four months? <laughs> yeah, so the process was from January. Uh, and then uh, I, I got the offer first week of April, yeah. And so I had like a two, three months transition period because I needed to ensure that okay. Save Border wasn't going to like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not be there and then figure out who was going to take over how are we going to think of that process? Do we need to go and hire someone and all that? And luckily, uh, there were people within the company or within my team who were ready for that mantle uh, too as well. They might not have been ready, but like you don't know when someone is ready until you put them in there True. and they start to prove themselves. And so uh, it was a very happy exit. It was I, like I felt like proud and I'd done work and it was work that people recognized because by the time we were I was leaving we had gone from zero rides to 10,000 rides uh, a day mm. and that is something yeah. like anybody who has started something from zero to one would tell you that like that is amazing yeah and so I left joined them compa and here I am <laughs>
that's that's an amazing story yeah. <laughs> like i feel like guys let's just finish let's close the video now <laughs> but it's obviously like a lot to learn so like let's let's go back to the andela days right yeah. when you started when you started andela it was your first time at a tech startup you had done like corporates you had done philips consulting corporate access bank corporate corporate and now we are here at a company with like young guys like you. They just came back and say we want to change the ecosystem. Yeah. Right? How what was the culture shock that you experienced? And how was like the early days? So for my first six months, uh, I used to wear white corporate t-shirts and blue jeans, and I'm talking with a brown belt and six brown months. Shirt. Yeah, first six months. And so when people see black ops, there is a reason why like I always wear only black t-shirts and jeans. So six months, I'm dressed like that. And then uh, one day I was talking to Shaney, we were standing somewhere, I we was talking to Shaney, and their visitors came. And so when the visitors came in, they looked at him and they looked at me and they were like, oh, we are here to see you, that we are looking for the country director, that are you the one? That's you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I look at Shaney and I'm like, no, it's this dude. <laughs> and then I looked at it and I looked at the way that I was dressed. I, I kind of like looked very overdressed with my white, like it was, you know, the banker's white yeah, like, shirt. Yeah, and with like cufflinks blue jeans, and cufflinks and everything. And so I'm just like, I can't do this. So I went online, ordered like 10 black shirts. Why black? Uh, I was wearing white. Uh, the only option I could go to was black. <laughs> I thought about navy blue. But then black just like seems like it. Like black goes with everything. everything. And yeah. so it just felt that like black should be the option. So I ordered black long sleeve shirts. Oh, okay. Well, and now so we got into like the. The short sleeve, <laughs> no. So um, I ordered black long sleeve shirts. And then uh, I was. I just switched. And then the first day I came with like the black, everyone was like, ah, what's going on? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing that. So there was a whole lot of culture shock in the way that people were generous and gracious. I remember yeah. having a conversation with Shani and Shani was like, hey, Baba Jide, if you're going to succeed, you need to be authentic with yourself. I can see you fighting with some of the things you've learned in the traditional yeah. environment that would not necessarily help you succeed here. And he was very kind to give me that feedback to say, hey, forget all those things that I know that you will struggle and you will say, oh, but what if I leave Andela today and I need to go back into the industry? Do I need to keep this myself who is outspoken, who uh, challenges upwards, all those things? And it's like, you know what? If you're authentic, people will see that authenticity and they would appreciate it. And so in everything I've gone and I've done, I take that authenticity with me. Yeah. Like being authentic, being who I am, being this is it. Like there is no uh, fuss around it. Like yeah, even during interviews, when they ask are. me certain things and I don't know, I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> but like I can go figure out or find it out, but I, I don't know it. Yeah. And I don't come with like a as if, oh, I know it and I've been there and I've done it before type mindset uh, 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 and all that. Like even coming to Mkopa, like I've forgotten about my success at Sebada. So I don't go around saying, oh, I, you know, I've successfully built a company. No, I sit down and listen. Yeah. Because that is the only way you can impact by knowing things, combining the old knowledge with whatever new knowledge you have. And so you don't just come in and boss around and say, you know, I'm going to change the entire ship. What you're doing is nonsense. Because no, what they were doing was fantastic. They needed yeah. someone to just come in yeah. to scale it up. Yeah. And so you need to be able to, and those were the culture shift 
that I had to like learn over time. And at Andela, I actually like learned this thing because like I had great leaders who kept on like giving me feedback. In fact, like my boss then <laughs> at that point in time, we were constantly at loggerheads. We were always fighting uh, too as well. Up to the extent that at some point, Shani had to be a mediator between two of us <laughs> and say, one day you guys are going to kill each other. And at the end of the day, today we have a mutually found respect for each other to say, mm. hey, I respect you, what you're doing. We don't necessarily have to be best buddies, but yeah. we, there's that respect uh, too. And so those were the changes that had to happen over time for me to be able to get to where I am. Interesting. And I imagine that after you then moved, like when you were leading community at Andela and you're done all this culture shift and here you are going to a startup that wasn't that when you look at it from the outside, it feels more like a bike or Okada business than a tech company, right? So you're like, oh yes, it's a tech company, but you have to do like the grassroots grassroots. And it's not like you have like a boss now, like in Nigeria, you are the boss, right? So yeah. it's like the responsibilities on you. So what was now the shift that you experienced here? And like, oh, this is different. I have the skill set. I can learn the things I need to learn. But fundamentally, it's very different. Like, how did you manage that? So a whole bunch of things. Like, I, I tell people there is a gist and a story around, like, the MCO Luomo. It was someone that gave me the name on Twitter. But, like, <laughs> uh, I was really an MCO Luomo with a MacBook. Because mm. I've said I've actually, like, taken off my shirt before and I've, like, punched the wall like with Okada riders because th that is the <laughs> language that everyone understands. They, they come into the office, they see you. I remember them saying, oh, we were using their money to drink tea or something like, trying to like cause a fracas. And so I was scared because like these guys were like angry. Mm. And then here I am, who's never, I've only fought once in my life. <laughs> and you see, I wear glasses because like I don't see very well. And so when I wanted to fight, I threw the glasses away and I ran and I didn't see the guy and I punched the shadow and I fell down. So that's why I don't fight. And then I'm going to go and lead an Okada business, which is like, you're dealing with like the grassroots Nigerian. Mm -hmm. And so I had to like switch. You couldn't be like too fresh. They needed to see you as their own. Yeah. So I've done situations whereby like, I'd removed my shirt and I was punching the wall and I'm saying, where is my money in Yoruba? And I'm punching the wall and I'm saying, where's my money? And then the riders are like, <laughs> the riders are actually coming to try and pacify me down to say, hey, this is it. And I lived and like an Okada rider. I had my own jacket, I had my helmet. When we we're going out, I was always in front with a rider. Like, I was through and through like a pack rider and pack manager. Like, we'll sit, we'll have community meetings, we'll talk, they'll hear their own views, me to hear my own views. There was a day I, I even gave them, put a whiteboard, I gave one of them a marker and say, yeah, start writing. Come and show me the calculation. Because <laughs> we'll <warm> you okay. <laughs> That's uh, meaning my money is not complete. Yeah. And so, all those shifts is how, when I look at it and I say I don't necessarily have a plan of like, oh, this is what I'm looking to do. Yeah. I have like skill sets that I look out and then I transfer it into the roles that, so I'm very good at transference into the roles and I put my all into it. Whether it's my business or not my business, like it is still the thing that funds whatever lifestyle I want to have. Mm. And so I put my all, I own it, I sleep, eat, breathe it. Like I have a sense of ownership to the point when, when I was leaving, people were like, ah, did I exit? <laughs> and it was funny to see because I'm just like, you know, I'm just an employee. And so that, that's what it is in like having a sense of ownership in, in the thing. And I take it to every, it's, it's 
for every company that I work in, like at Andela, I did it like as if it was my own. I, if you check my Twitter page, you can see all my content. It's like blue, orange. Now it's green. All the brand colors too as well. Like I'm not a cultist, but like <laughs> <laughs> I flew the brand colors like really, really well. And I owned it and I wore it on my sleeve because that was what was paying for my bills. That was what was helping me like do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And so why not own it? And so all those shifts is not all rosy. There are times where you look at it and you're just frustrated. There are times where you're like, you want to give up, you want to throw in the towel. Or there are times you just be like, hey, you know, I should have just had a regular desk job. Mm. But at the end of the day, the wins when those things happen and you see yeah, the way it transforms people's lives mm. is what gives you that excitement. The way you like look at it when a rider comes in and he tells you that oh because he works at safe border now he can do xyz i was surprised when some riders were sending their children to private schools wow. but guess what this guy was in ibadan making what 160 107 monthly as an okada rider so from the all... two five a day that they were making a exactly because research. like you start to see people who are making seven ak on a daily basis and they work six times a week mm. And you see the way their lives just transform and change. Like, it was the same thing at Andela, where you saw many of the guys. And because I was at the entry point, I used to see them. Yeah. And then by the time they were getting to D1, like D2, you could see boys. they were like big yes. boys. You could see the transformation in that person's life. And so me, I took joy in that to say, this is whatever I'm doing is helping people become yeah. better. And so, in that way, as people are getting better, I'm getting better, we're all getting better. That's amazing. So, when, when people hear your story, right, especially when you have said it, it sounds very rosy. Like, oh, the jobs have come with challenges, oh, but it's like, you're a badass and you kill it anyway. Like, start with data entry and you're like, no, you have something better to do, come on the HR, and next thing you're working on access, and next thing you're working on this. Like, it sounds really rosy, but what are like the mistakes or challenges that has rocked your career that you felt like man this one was a big one i've come out of it but you know that this was a either a pivotal mistake or like a big challenge that even when you were facing you're like i don't know how i'm going to face it but yeah. in hindsight you've done so now so i do have two stories that i anchor on because in mm. every one of it there is always a lesson that you learn the first one was at philips consulting where we were recruiting for the chairman of firs and the secretary for health uh, nhis then and so philips consulting had been tasked to do that recruitment and so i was managing the recruitment and then we had this advert that was supposed to go out in the national dailies mm. and so we designed the entire corel draw at that point in time and we put it we had like draft on it so you put it the draft to know the final copy that will actually go out then you take out the draft eh? but between myself, the graphic designer, and the printing press on mm. the four national dailies, we all missed the draft. So we didn't take the water, the draft watermark out. And then it went out in the national dailies. And then because of the type of uh, printers they use in newspaper companies, the draft became the real text, and the text Oof. became the watermark. So imagine having the FIRS chairman's job with a massive draft, full page advert on all the, the national days. Punch, Vanguard, uh, yeah. Business Day. I just... And so, I remember 
I knew that like for sure I was going to get fired because mm. like yeah I wasn't even the one who saw it it was someone else that saw it and I just they came <laughs> out there like you're dead I knew I was going to get fired and so for two days I kept on dodging my partner uh, my practice partner at the firm and he noticed I was dodging him and so he had planned with my colleagues I was working on my we used to sit in a cubicle and he had only one exit so I was walking in the cubicle everybody somewhat mysteriously left and then all of a sudden the guy came in and he stood by the entrance of the cubicle I said so now where do you want to run I'm there frozen with my laptop looking back at him like this and he's looking at me and he's like we need to talk and I'm like yep here it is I'm gone I, I already started preparing mentally of how my sack was going to be and how I'm going to tell my mother. <laughs> and then he's like, you know, people make mistakes and we all make mistakes, but your mistakes do not define you. Okay. And because of this one mistake, I'm not going to throw all the good thing you've done away. And that one single act of kindness was something I took too as well. So when people even make mistakes on my team, I'm you like, stop beating yourself for it. Did you learn from it? And then I learned from it. Today, I cannot put out work that I'm not proud to put my name mm. under. Like when I put out a report and the report actually goes out, I'm proud to do. Like the report then, um, Okonjo was uh, Minister of Finance. Yeah. So the recruitment report, she saw it because it was her, her department that was handling it. She saw it and she, there was even like some uh, feedback that came out from that. And so that was one. The second one was at Andela, where, um, so it seemed like I was due for a promotion and I was supposed to get promoted. I figured like I was going to get promoted. The mindset that I had between myself, my boss, everybody was like, Babajide is becoming a senior manager. I go on holiday, I come back and I don't get it. Right. Obviously we had some mediation conversations to say, why did this not happen? But one thing I took out of that was that I could have been angry and everybody would have seen that anger and they would have transferred that to my job and I wouldn't have been doing well. But despite the fact that every day I was angry, every time I went to work, I still put in my best. I acted like nothing was happening. Like it burnt me, it hurt me a lot. I acted like nothing was happening. And so sometimes I see a lot of people who feel that they deserve something and they don't get it and they get angry. They start to throw a fit and they start to like, you know, burn bridges and yeah, yeah, cause go mayhem and go on Twitter rants. Like those things hurt you on the long run because at the end of the day, sometimes those disappointments are meant for good. Like in every disappointment I've had, there was always something that came out of it that was good. It was the good I always saw out of that disappointment. And so I, I was angry in my house. I was upset, but I was never angry in the office. I kept on chatting with my colleagues. I was very formal. My KPIs were not suffering because what typically will happen is you see people will be performing and then all of a sudden they don't get that promotion that was due and then they just dip. And so those two things were like things that I anchor on. And I, every time that I have mentees, I tell them those stories and I go in depth to like the place of the hurt because like it was, there was real hurt. And then I go in depth and I say, look at it today. Like, Every time I look back at that silly guy that was angry, even me, I'm still angry with that guy that <laughs> was angry. <laughs> like, why were, you, why, why were you angry? And so that's why sometimes never, never make permanent decisions because of the yeah. temporary way you feel. Yeah. 
So don't burn bridges because it's always going to, like, you will always regret it. That's an amazing story. Amazing stories, actually. Like, the one of just extend grace to people. Yep. It's very, very important. And I see how when people give you grace, it becomes easier for you to transfer it and yep. just becomes like a repo effect. Yep. And then the fact about just like not letting something that you expected to come, not letting just like make you suffer or like deter you or say, you know what, I'm not working for this company anymore. Yeah. Because like when you persevere and you like push past that, then there's usually a greater good that can yeah. happen to you at the Absolutely. end. That's like really brilliant advice. So I see on Twitter that you're an advocate for moving companies, right? Like people say, Stay in a company, grow, you know, get promoted, senior manager, director, on and on and on and on. But I've seen you say a couple of times, like, like if you have an opportunity, like, move around, like, that's, that's how you grow faster and that's how you get more compensation. Do you want to, like, talk a bit more about it? Yeah. So, uh, I think the reason why I'm where I am today is my ability to solve problems. It's not mm. because I was the best launcher or the best commercial person or the best salesman or the best country manager or the best country director is the ability to solve problems and this was something i picked from my consulting days and when you work for multiple clients in multiple industries the way your problem solving grows like sometimes when i tell people this your brain is a is a muscle too as well. Mm. So you build your brain and your mental capacity. The same way we say we want to stay fit is how we constantly run, go to the gym, exercise. It's the same way your brain too needs to stay fit and sharp. Mm. So you need to constantly exercise okay. the brain challenge and challenge the brain so that the brain is constantly thinking and the brain is constantly problem solving. Like it's not dealing with the same old problems for five years. Mm. Like the brain is like moving and constantly moving. And so uh, I quickly learned this like very early because uh, I'd spent four years at Philips Consulting. I'd spent three years at uh, Access. Access. And then uh, Andela, I'd spent two and a half years. And then all of a sudden my first like came. And then I'm like, oh, this is great. And is amazing and interesting. But sometimes you want to stay but the market decides what the market decides. <laughs> and so uh, at this point right now, because I've actually now seen someone that I feel that like can 10X my career right now, mm. I'm willing to stay because like you sit with the guy and you talk to him, you can already see yourself in light years to say, mm. hey, this is where I'm going to go. Mm. And so it's dependent on a whole bunch of factors. Are you, are you being challenged mentally? Also, for you to climb the ladder, when I left the bank, I was a banking officer. The banking officer was how many steps away from GM. Today, I'm a general manager. And so, in the bank, you had to be a senior banking officer, a, an assistant manager, a deputy manager, a manager, a senior manager, an assistant general manager, a deputy <laughs> manager before you became oh, a general manager. Oh, oh. So, that was eight levels away. And, and each level would probably take like two, three years. If you were fast, you spent two years in each level so basically eight that's 16 yeah. years but then look at it today i've spent what between access and uh m copper i've spent uh let's yes, say three years in andela about two years in so basically five years to get to jump that hurdle and so that's how i think about it that's how i see it it doesn't necessarily work for everyone Everybody. because you must be the kind of person and I've noticed certain things. I'm the kind of guy that 
I probably would not go to like a Microsoft at this point in time. Why? Huh? Because I, I don't think I will thrive in that environment mm. because I'm already where the decision is being made and close to the decision circles that allows my creativity to come in to actually influence things like that. And then you go into those kind of organizations, you just yes. get buried. So and so I know where I want to play with my career and in my space. So I'm extremely intentional about it. I'm intentional about the kind of jobs that I, I take. Like, Mcopa wasn't the only company who came to talk to me. But Mcopa was the only company who could actually like get, get your attention, get me my attention, and get me out of like say border. And so I'm very intentional about it. And there are so many things layered on that too as well. And if people want to go, they need to leave because like the best you can do is you get promoted three times. Typically with a promotion, you get what twenty percent increase in salary. Yeah. Yeah, in that three times, that's like 60%. When I've well, seen people who have changed jobs and they get like 100, what, 100, 200% yeah. increase. And so that's how I like say it. Don't worry, I'm not leaving in Copa anytime soon. <laughs> I was just in my head, I was talking about that 100, 200%. I said, ah, why did this bank account was spending every month now? Apparently it's not. Hey. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not. It's not because there is always yeah, because, like, more money. Where, where your where your taste is now, your level. Funny kind enough, of more money I don't even have such a huge taste. Like, uh, like I, I'm not. Every day, me and my wife like we laugh and we say we are too simplistic for where we are mm. income wise because like it's not just only me. It's two of us. Like two of us are very <laughs> simplistic. Like it's just the black shirts, is the blue jeans, is the sneakers. It's not the Mercedes. Like I do, I, I had an Audi and I driven a German car and it was good and it was nice. But like those things don't necessarily define me and I don't necessarily need to have them to naturally feel happy. Yeah. Like other things make me feel happy. And so it's like, how am I building wealth for my next generation? Mm. So that like uh, when my son is like me, he's not getting it to start. It was only Skybank that my father has <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It was the only Skybank that my father has connected to as well. And he'll be open to a world of opportunities too. And so it's like building for the future too as well. And so for me, people say, oh, you know, how do you get rich as an operator? But guess what? If you're the best at what you do, mm. you're always going to be rich. Like when I tell people, I say, chase value money will chase after you once you are chasing the value the money is chasing you yeah and so for me it's the value what value are you adding are you adding value to like companies when people see you and you're building within a space like do they look at you and they're just in awe of the value that you are adding if you if people are in awe of that then the yeah, money, money will chase you chase it will you. always chase you that's, that's, that's amazing so money chase me <laughs> <laughs> Also, so when you were talking about MCOPA, you said that um, when they first reached out to you and you're like, this is a solar company, I'm not really sure. But then you spoke to your current manager and like, because of this guy, and yeah. of course, the other people I want to work. So that's the people part of it. But what about the business also? Was it just the people that was enough? So or did you learn more about the business? And, like, the pressing was enough to show me what was under the hood of the business. Mm. And that's where like great leaders differentiate how you attract talent hmm. and so he when you say under the hood it's like you seeing a car and saying oh this is a nice car yeah. for those who are like engine buffs and they open it and they start to see the turbo engine That's and they start they to see the, they nice know that, that this is a nice car and this guy opened the hood and showed me what was underneath it and i was like damn 
Wow. And so, yes, it started off as a solar company, but today it's a connected asset financing company. It's one of the largest uh, financiers for mobile phones uh, asset-wise in Africa. And so you see that and you see what is under the hood and you're just like, this is amazing. And you see the mechanics who are building it and you are just like you know what hey even if it's the tire i'm changing i want to change the tire of this car and so that was how the conversation happened like i spoke to maya first then i spoke to jesse and i spoke to hayo and immediately i was i got on a call with my coach and i said these guys by the time i work with them i'm going to be 10x like if people think i'm the shit now wait till they see me working with these guys two three years and they will be mind blown by what it is like they would just be like who is this guy because i could see those guys and i could see and it's just three months and i can already see the difference <laughs> like if i was going to build say border today i wouldn't think i would even be much more successful than where we were because hmm. i can see the difference i could see like how they were like structural thinkers how they could measure how they could plan like amazing and so you see that level of excitement that like I'm talking about like <laughs> my job uh, too as well. And I'm so like happy and excited to like be part of the company yeah. and change what we're doing and grow. Because like many people say, oh, you know, you're GM, all this. But like there's still so much room for growth. There's so much to learn. Mm. Uh, so it's not what next, it's what can it's I... One more. One more. One hmm. more can I learn. You mentioned life coach. Yeah. And See, I follow you on Twitter. So I know that you're very big on having like a career coach, not necessarily a life coach. Actually a life coach. So like, how did you find yours and what has been the the value of having like a a coach that you can say, you know what, I I can submit to this person's teaching or so? So it's a very interesting story because uh, I remember when I found my coach and I could barely scrap hundred dollars to like pay for like coaching sessions um i found my coach when i was a first time manager at andela so basically this guy has been with me all through this entire journey so even through the like pitfalls the downfalls some of the things that like i wasn't happy about he has walked me and coached me through and so he had raised my awareness he had raised okay how to understand what is at play within uh, every organization he has raised okay how do you want to show up and how are you currently being experienced by people like do you want to show up this way and you have been experienced this way how do you close mm. that gap and so it's been very very transformational for me like I remember signing on with him and we said in five years time I want to have a seat at the table in a company and what that meant was I wanted to either become like in a general management or senior management type situation we achieved that in two and a half years of coaching. Although there was so much work that was done on my part, but like this guy has been with me like through and through. And it's just been amazing. Like two of us have grown together. Today, I've introduced him to other people within like the Nigerian ecosystem that he actively coaches. And we have this like very nice, small, chatty group that way we just talk about the guy and we're like ah this guy's coaching and this is what he told me this is what he said and and things like that and so he's someone who had worked in nigeria uh at shell 
was at Shell, was HR in Shell. Uh, he was in a special team where they were like doing like the succession planning and talent management of a company. That is one of the strongest arms of HR you ever the talent management side. And then he left, went to Canada, was part of those first set of people that migrated to Canada. Went to Canada, uh, worked at Walmart in HR and all those things. And then now, now he's like retired and just like coaching. And so you see, it even gives him joy for him to see people like grow. And this is someone that I would take any day, any time. Like I remember having a conversation with my manager now and he's like, hey, I would like to know more about you as a person. Who can I get that knowledge from? And I'm like, talk to my coach. And so he spoke to my coach and two of them aligned. And now that they are aligned, I, I'm very happy because like I know that like, my, like yeah. I, I'm actually going to grow and I'm looking forward to it. And so that's what a coach does for you. He trans, it's transformational. Like you, you, you start to see things, you start to hear things. You start to understand what is going on, what's at play at every point in time. You start to make a decision-making process. Even while I was at Safe Border, it was a very interesting story when I turned down a 66% increase in salary to stay at Safe Border. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have stories for days because people don't necessarily do that. Mm. Like you don't turn down such money to stay uh, at a company that you, at that point we had not even launched. Mm. And so this person was there to help me refine that decision to say you know what stay and today it paid off like it paid off like a lot yeah amazing i mean i know that you're a family man too right i see like videos and pictures of your wife and kids um and you mentioned at the very beginning of the interview that you grew up with a single mom yeah what what has that upbringing has it affected how you're building your family now uh, so it was hard and tough growing up without a dad, I'm not going to lie, because like you have so many things that you want to understand from a male figure in your life and you don't. Uh, why I say my coach is a life coach is because he helped me work through some of those hate, mm. the pain and the anguish so that I do not go and make that mistake. Like people don't like the situation they are in and they, they, they get into it and I'm not perfect like there are days where I will sleep up there are days where like sometimes if you, you speak to my wife herself two of us we drive each other crazy like <laughs> but it's been six years of us driving each other crazy and we're still like getting better at it and so for us uh, I remember having a conversation with my coach and he's like hey I do understand that like you're becoming this very like influential person and everybody needs to you know you and you're getting like star your status is changing but for every job as your status changes when you get home you still need to be babajide to show not mm. a general manager not country director not and you need to be babajide to her so when i get home i'm like i'm babajide to her. i forget like whatever titles are there i'm like there to serve her and while she serves me because like marriage for me is all about like service both of us serving each other to ensure that we are pushing the family's good um, ahead. And so that's what like uh, I, I've been doing. And I'm very happy and excited. Every job that I, I take, I always tell them that family is very important to me. And so if your job is going to make me not spend time with my family, don't hold your job. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I'm very conscious about it. Like today I've taken my son swimming. I'm not, I'm stressed because like Nigeria will stress you and, <laughs> like building a business in Nigeria stresses you but I'm not losing any sleep I'm mm. still having time to connect with my family nobody's breathing down my neck for targets on the Saturday 
uh, afternoon telling me where is this report that they are going they are not going to action until monday evening yeah. so like all those things are extremely important to me and so because i have that ability to with that grace i extend it to other people too as well like everybody needs to be with their family everybody needs to have family time too as well and so yeah family for me is like everything I'm not uh, Dominic Toretto, but like, <laughs> <laughs> family is everything. <laughs> Amazing. Like, I, I feel like this conversation can keep going. Yes, but I it's know. a video, so I have to like cut it short at some point. But I've learned so many things, and I'll try and itemize some of them, right? And I'll ask you the final question. Like, when, when you talk about extending grace, like, that resonates with me a lot. And it's not even just at work, it's just like, in life generally, extend grace to people. Yeah. You don't even know the shit they're going through, so no. like extend grace to people. When you talk about knowing how to manage your emotions, so it's not just anger, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you just manage your emotions and showing up as authentic as you can and keep doing the work regardless of what it is you're going through, right? Yep. And you can be emotional at home, but when you get to the office, do the work, right? Yeah. And just being diligent at it because mm -hmm. when people hurt you at work and your KPIs are not going down, that's a proof of diligence and saying, hey, I'm going to just like keep doing the excellent work, right? Mm -hmm. And then you said, wh whatever you do, whether it's your business or not, you are like, it's 100% ownership for you. Like, yeah. I'm doing my very best. I'm being as excellent as possible. And in the beginning, you talked about just, I might not have this exact skill set I need for this role, but I've had some skills that is transferable yeah. and I will learn on the job. Yeah. And I think that's very phenomenal because there are a lot of people who, would not apply for jobs just because I'm not sure I'm there yet, right? Especially women, right? It's just like, if I'm not like, yeah. I've seen the statistics that if women are not 100%, 105% like qualified sure. for a role, they won't apply. And But men would probably be like 80% and they would. But it's like, across the board, it's like, do it afraid. One of my mentors always says, like, do it afraid. It means that I can be scared to my bones, I can feel unqualified, I can feel inadequate. But with all of those feelings, yep. I will still do and yep. show up and then just yep. get better yep. as you go. And then just understanding the value of having people that can support you. It could yep. be a coach, it could yep. be your wife. Who yep. say, hey, you know, if you want the job, think about think it. About like, it, that's, yeah. that's very important. So there's like, there's so much to learn from your journey, right? But for you personally, with mm -hmm. this wealth of 10 years experience, right? Across board, like different industries, different kind of work. you've what <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is that one big lesson like when you look back it's like there's this maybe it's not even a mantra there's this big one like it's something you would always carry like you would always come to mind so for me uh it's when people say luck for me and i always say it every time and people have tried to like counter me with it a lot of time it's when preparation meets opportunity like when people say oh i got lucky but you were prepared and that's why you were able to like seize that opportunity yeah. for the luck to happen. Uh, I would say I've been lucky a lot in my career, uh, in my life, meeting the kind of person I met to like marry, uh, the kind of companies I've worked in, I've been lucky. Like uh, when you were saying certain things, I remember at the Save Border interview, I finally saw the interview evaluation and from my first interview they were like, oh, he's not the strongest candidate, yeah. but it's a nice to have let him go through and so I've wow. <laughs> all those kind of things and I've seen it play out to say when the opportunity comes and arises do you show are you prepared to grab that opportunity like even at M Copper too as well like I, I 
somewhat did research on the candidates who were like competing with the role. And if you see their profiles, they, they were they were the shit. <laughs> and so for me, it's that that like every time I'm lucky is because I was prepared. And so when the opportunity came, I was able to grab it. So that's how I live my life. That's the mantra. So even if I'm not doing anything, I'm always constantly just preparing. <laughs> I'm constantly like people will think you slow down. I'm still constantly reading books. I'm still actively with my coach. I'm taking more business so courses. Like self-improvement is consistent. Yes, it's to the point whereby you are addicted. Mm. So I think I'm addicted to it. Like, and anybody who works with me and who has been on my team will tell you that like for that self-improvement, like it's like I, I'm a junkie around it that I, I like I need to be better than yesterday like I don't need to be massively better but I need to be better one thing progress before perfection I don't believe in perfection okay. I believe in progress and for me it's everything it's around the decision making progress it doesn't have to be perfect let's move forward, let's move forward. like take a step forward don't be stuck don't stay in the same yeah. Uh, so you won't ever repeat that four months of just like being stagnant and no, stuff. Never again. <laughs> never again. Never again. And today, like if I still have conversations with the same other folks and they get stuck, I would tell them like, here's what you need to do. You need to move forward. Like do something new. Don't like launch a product. Like build that excitement. Because once you are stagnant, then it starts to affect the team. Everybody starts to have this then everybody's dragging. And then yeah. you start to see people coming work to late work late. And these are people who used to come early yeah. and all of a sudden they are showing up late. Like, it's all those things that transfer into the team. Right. It's a question I forgot to ask you. What's your leadership style? Ah, uh, my leadership style. So, if all, if a whole lot of things. So, I'm very direct. Uh, you always know where you stand with me. Mm. But I'm also very free because, like, I spoil. So, I believe in connecting with people. And so, I'll connect with you to solve the problem deep down right i don't believe in like you micromanaging people but i'll fire you like and i will be very kind <laughs> i'll connect it but i will be very kind with firing you like I, I i i laid a few people off in my like career uh when i see it's not working i don't dilly dally and wait mm. i would just rather like put both of us out of our misery because i know there's someone out there who needs that job and will do better and you need to be released to be able to do better somewhere else too as well and so for me, that's what it is. It's like leading with empathy, uh, leading with from the second chair, like put your people up, celebrate them, uh, reward them, be their advocate, be their cheerleader. Like that's why that whoever that Nigerian uh, founder is and say, I love my team. Yeah, because I love my team. Like, and that's what it is. I will always advocate for my people. I will always put them through. And when you are in my circle, that's one thing people don't understand. Whether you work with me today or you work with me like three, five years ago, when you are in my circle, we might not even talk. Mm. But the day something comes up, mm. I will, there are so many people that came to Andela that were my referral that it wasn't a case of them applying for the job. We had never spoken in years, but they are my people. They are my, I have this like mini cabal and I pick up the phone and call them and I say, hey, I have something for you. Like, same thing at them copper like my finance managers i was coming in and the first thing that they were just saying we need a finance thing i picked up the phone and i said hey i have something for you because i've seen your work you deliver yeah. great work and i can see the culture that we would not struggle i'm going to it's go and just... manage something new i need all the allies that i can get 
And so that's how I think about it. Once you are like part of my people, like. You how do we like... apply to be part of your people? <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, you are my people. <laughs> ah! Because like, remember you and I, we've had like yeah. multiple conversations yeah. uh, at that point. And I'm always willing and happy to like sit and help and help people think through it. But it's not everybody because uh, I get a barrage of people saying, I have this idea, come and mentor me and everything. And sometimes I ignore people. It's not necessarily because I'm wicked, it's just because I don't have the capacity to spread myself thin uh, like that. So I'm always very critical about the people and I test people to see, okay, are they really sure about what they want or they're just there, uh, you know, <laughs> faffing. <laughs> Amazing. Again, right? There's just been so many lessons, but I can feel Tito being like, ah, this video is like two hours long. Okay, so cut it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, definitely not. I have a feeling that I'll call you back again because I have so many more questions. But first of all, I just want to thank you for like honoring this conversation You're and like welcome. being very open to share this i when i follow you and i see your content i've always known as a lot like every time i see stuff i'm like there's something to learn or even if it's just to be inspired by you but to sit with you and hear you tell the story and like sort of like get the backstory and like what drives the decision it's like another level of respect right so it's like <laughs> thank you. You? i'm gushing right <laughs> thank you thank you thank you so much guys i hope you enjoyed this video as much as i did please leave your comments i'm going to put mkupa and the URL on video so you can check out what Babaji is building right now i'll put his twitter handle also in the description please follow him and you know be a fan like i am <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast to the end. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I hope that you have been inspired or motivated to get better in your careers, in your businesses, in your life. I hope this, you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you subscribe to the videos on my YouTube channel at PCTME or just search for Founders Connect and you'll find the playlist and then subscribe to the channel. Also, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. Leave a rating also so more people can find it and also talk about the episode that you listen to hashtag found connect across social media hey i'll see you in the next episode peace out